Hello and welcome to our podcast, Carefully Examining the Text. I apologize, first of all, because my voice is not all that I would like it to be, but I do appreciate your faithful listeners. And I know that you haven't tuned in mainly to hear my melodious voice, but to hear an explanation of the book of Psalms. And today we are in Psalm 63. Psalm 63. And let's begin by reading these words. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judea. Verse 1. O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. There I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory, because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praise with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate you on you on the ni- in the night watches. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it will go down into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be a prey for foxes, but the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will glory, for the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. Psalm 63. The heading of the psalm speaks of it as a psalm of David when David was in the wilderness of Judea. Now, David was in the wilderness of Judea fleeing from Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 21, beginning. He was in the wilderness fleeing from Absalom in 2 Samuel chapter 15. Which time does this refer to? It's difficult to say, but it is interesting. In verse 11, the king will rejoice in God. Does it refer to a time when David was actually king and not simply anointed king, a king in prospect? If so, that may refer to the time of Absalom. You will find writers arguing both sides. But the key is the wilderness setting. And in this wilderness setting, often the wilderness traveler has to to look and keep his eyes open for every occurrence of water, everything he can drink in order to survive. And with this background, he says in verse 1, O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He uses this wilderness setting to describe his thirst 
and his longing for God. In Psalm 42, you see the same kind of idea. In Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. He speaks of his thirst, his longing for God. And here he does in Psalm 63 as well. I seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. As if in a place where there is no water. And notice he says, O oh God, you are my God. Remember a phrase in the Old Testament that seems to describe God's covenant with his people. I will be your God and you will be my people. You literally find that phrase from Genesis to Revelation, from the first of the Bible to the end. I will be their God and they will be my people. And the writer is acknowledging his covenant relationship with God. Oh God, you are my God. Now also remember that the Bible emphasizes God is not God of the dead, but of the living. In Matthew 22, in verse 31, to confess God as our God is to say that we have a relationship with him that will outlive this life itself. He thirsts for God. He longs for God. And he says in verse 3, I have seen you in the sanctuary. His longing, his desire for God is particularly quenched as he meets in God's house to worship. There is a great power in public worship. I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. In verses 2 and 3, God's power, God's glory, God's loving kindness are all praised. God's power and loving kindness were mentioned together at the end of Psalm 62. In Psalm 62, verses 11 and 12. And here in Psalm 63, verses 2 and 3, you see the same. God's power, God's glory, and God's loving kindness. We have stated before that the loving kindness of God refers to His patience, His mercy, His grace, His long-suffering. All of these are wrapped up in that word, loving kindness. And here we read that life, God's loving kindness, is better than life itself. My lips praise you. In verse 3, my lips praise you. In verse 4, I will bless you. What does it mean for us to bless God? God blesses us. We bless him by praising him. The phrase is used pretty much in parallelism with that in verse 3. And it says, I will lift up my hands to your name. 
I will lift up my hands. That was often the posture of prayer, as we find in Exodus 9 and verse 29. In Isaiah 1 verse 15, it is alluded to, and it's mentioned in the New Testament as well. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8, I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. And in verse 5, my soul is satisfied with, as with marrow and fatness. He uses the richest of foods. He describes the most satisfying of banquets. And to say the satisfaction that God brings is like this. My soul is satisfied with marrow and fatness. My mouth offers praises with joyful lips. In verse 6, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you on the night watches. The word meditate is the word that was used back in Psalm 1 verse 2. On God's law, I meditate day and night. Night is the time when we're the most vulnerable, both physically and emotionally. And yet at this time, he says, I will remember you. I will meditate on you in the night watches. He describes God in verse 7 as his help. God is his help. And in the shadow of his wings, he said, I will sing for joy. That phrase, the shadow of his wings, has often been used before. In Psalm 57, 1, in Psalm 61, in verse 4, in Psalm 91, in verse 4, those passages emphasize this expression. You have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. In verse 8, my soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. The book of Deuteronomy in particular often speaks of us clinging to God, of Israel clinging to God. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 4, Deuteronomy 10 verse 20, Deuteronomy 11 verse 22, Deuteronomy 13 verse 4, Deuteronomy 30 verse 20. My soul clings to you. That word clings is used in each of those passages to describe how closely we stick to God. It is a word used in Genesis 2 verse 24 to describe marriage. A man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. It is used in Ruth 1 in verse 14. It's used in Ruth 1 and verse 14 to tell us that Ruth clung to her mother-in-law. And so those are some vivid illustrations of what it looks like for us to cling to God. I like verse 8 because verse 8 emphasizes our responsibility to God. We cling to God, and yet it also emphasizes God's mercy and grace and strength that he provides us. My soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. It upholds me. 
Now, this particular word, upholds, is used in many places of the Bible. But one place that I find really interesting is Exodus 12 and verse, Exodus 17, verse 12. Exodus 17, verse 12. The context is that when Moses lifts up his hands, Israel prevails against Amalek. When he lets down his hand, Amalek prevails. And when Moses has no more strength to hold up his hand, Aaron and Hur appear on each side of him, and they uphold his hands. And just as Aaron and Hur upheld Moses' hands, God upholds our hands. We don't have the strength to make it. God is the one who holds us up. We cling to him, and he upholds us. May that be a description of our lives. In verse 9, But those who seek my life to destroy it will go down into the depths of the earth. This psalm mentions David's enemies, enemies who seem almost ubiquitous in the book of Psalms, but it only mentions them as an afterthought, as he has contemplated God and his closeness to God and his desire for God. His enemies are pushed to the background. But he says three things in verses 9 and 10 to emphasize the judgment that will come upon these wicked. They will go down to the depths of the earth, verse 9. Verse 10, they will be delivered over to the power of the sword. Verse 10, they will be prey for foxes. The idea of them being prey for foxes is they will not be granted a proper burial, but instead they will be eaten by animals. That was considered an outrage in the ancient Near East, not to be granted a proper burial. That belonged to evil people like Jezebel in 2 Kings 9, verses 30-37. through 37. But these are the judgments. They will go into the depths of the earth, they will be delivered to the power of the sword, and they will be prey for foxes. In verse 11, the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will glory. For the mouths of all those who speak lies will be stopped. This will be victory over these foes will be a cause for the king to rejoice. And not only for the king, but for all who swear in God's name. Deuteronomy 6, verse 13, Deuteronomy 10, verse 20, speaks of those who take oaths by God's name. Jeremiah 12, verse 16, also an interesting verse in that regard. So everyone who swears by God's name will rejoice in him, but the mouth of all who speak lies will be stopped. You notice that David's mouth, in verse 5, offers praise but the mouths of those who speak lies against him in verse 11 will be stopped. How does Jesus fulfill Psalm 63? Our longing for God finds its answer in Jesus. In verse 1, O God, you are my God. 
I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. In verse 5, my soul is satisfied with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praise. My mouth offers praise with joyful lips. The point that I'm trying to express as this psalm discusses a great thirst for God and God satisfying that more than the richest of foods, this is a picture of how Jesus satisfies our thirsty souls and our hungry souls. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who, he who uh, comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will not thirst. John 6 and verse 35. In John 7, verse 37, Jesus says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Are you thirsting for God? Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Look for him. If you believe in him, from your, mouth, from your stomach will flow rivers of living water. John 7 and verse 38, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Our longing and hunger for God is satisfied in Jesus. How does Jesus fulfill Psalm 63? This psalm spoke of beholding God's power and God's glory and God's loving kindness. But where do we see God's power and glory and loving kindness demonstrated so clearly? but Jesus? Where do we see it demonstrated any more clearly than the cross of Jesus? The Bible says the, 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 the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Romans 1 verse 16. In 1 Corinthians 1 in verse 24, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block to the Greeks, foolishness, but to those who are saved, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the message of Christ crucified is the power of God. We beheld your power and your glory. John 1 and verse 14 tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the glory of the only begotten from the Father full of grace and truth. In verse 3, it also speaks of beholding Psalm 63, 3, God's loving kindness. God's power is demonstrated in the cross. God's glory is demonstrated in Jesus and the cross. John 1, 14, John 17, 5, John 17, 22 and 24. And God's loving kindness is demonstrated in the cross. What is a better illustration of the mercy and the patience and the long-suffering of God than the cross of Christ? What is better than that? It is interesting that in verse 9, David spoke of those who seek to destroy my life. The psalmist, David, is put in good company here because in the Old Testament you find people seeking the life of Moses. Exodus 4.19 
Elijah, 1 Kings 19, verse 10 and verse 14. You send fine people seeking Jeremiah's life in Jeremiah 11, 21. But you know what's interesting? When they sought the life of David, when they sought the life of Moses and Jeremiah and Elijah, they didn't take it. They failed in that endeavor. But in Jesus, they sought his life in Mark eleven eighteen, And they took it. But I want to tell you, Jesus demonstrates God's power, God's glory, and God's loving kindness in his resurrection from the dead. And in his resurrection, those who sought to destroy him are themselves defeated. They will go into the depths of the earth and be delivered to the power of the sword and become prey for foxes. They will. Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 63. Let's read these words as we close. A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied with marrow and fatness. My mouth offers praise with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it will go down into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will become a prey for foxes. But the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will glory. For the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. Thank you for listening to our podcast.